and welcome to the Dice of Screaming podcast. <coughs> oh, it has been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> hey, welcome back from vacation, folks. Uh, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. I have returned. Yes. Uh, yeah, from the Great White North. Uh, from from way above the bridge. I, I have returned to this land of the trolls beneath at the bridge. <laughs> well, I've... Welcome back, and uh, yeah, we had a pretty good vacation. We hope you guys had too. It, uh, it was a little, uh, little rough for us, but uh, hey, you know that's what vacations are for. Sometimes they can be a little harrowing. Nonetheless, we've survived and leveled up, so we're back with our podcast. Hey, just uh, want to thank you folks for tuning in. And sorry about last week. Um, I'm going to do a better job of trying to keep the door locked after I leave the podcast shack. <laughs> yeah. Does that guy just hang out around the house, you know, it's like pe- peering in the windows looking for, you know, moments of like low supervision? Uh, apparently. <laughs> uh, man. Well, at least we had a good episode about cooking. Um, it was a little fun romp, I guess. I kind of wanted to do some more uh, recipes, maybe encourage people to share a few things. But, you know, reading recipes over line or online... <laughs> It's like reading from the phone book. I mean, you could you can listen to like Vincent Price read from the phone book and it would be chilling, but I'm not Vincent Price, so Oh yeah. Dude, Liam Neeson. Yeah. I would totally let him read a cookbook, you know, and I would just sit there wrapped the whole time, like, Yeah, what next? <laughs> One quarter <laughs> cup of round pepper. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you can make maybe. that dramatic. Hey, you know, more power to you. Or, but, or have it sung in opera by Christopher Lee. Well, yeah. Yeah. He's passed. But, um, yeah, but you know what? Um, <laughs> there's a lot of good cooking recipes out there. And I did um, I did kind of want to lean into it like, hey, Warder, what are you doing uh, talking about uh, recipes? Are you going soft over there? But I couldn't find a good way to fit in the Oglaf trope of even the trees were stabbed <laughs> that would have been his reply just would have stabbed. Uh, my totem animal cronar so, for those who know if you know you know <laughs> but you can expect no less from the unscrupulous kinder of gaming podcasts is there really any other kind because i know in the stories they're written as these cutesy innocent no it's not like theft i just accidentally like stumble upon these things in other people's pockets but there's never been a kinder player i have ever seen who has done anything except steal from the rest of the party and say it's because that's their character no no like there's there's nothing but unscrupulous kinder. Yeah, and we we totally steal blatantly from almost every source possible out there. So yeah, you were warned. Oh yeah, yeah. We have rifled through the pockets of pop culture uh, of the like last century. <laughs> so yeah, we, so we talked about Astro Gallimancer. Yeah, so well, let's see what's in store for our next podcast, shall we? All right, Astro Gallimancer is back. Ooh, all right. Staring into the future. What do you see? Behold, an examination of Judge Dredd in gaming. Now, we have discussed 2000 AD comics, but we have not specifically spoken of the Judge Dredd games, uh, of which more than one has been released. So there's more than one incarnation. We will briefly go over those. But Core concepts that can be made use of for Judge Dread gaming. Huh. Yeah, because although it's law enforcement, I know a lot of people dismiss it offhand. There's some intriguing inter-party politics. Um, look, shows like NCIS, In CSI, which... and other alphabet soup. And now fuse those into the kinds of plots that you might normally see in something like Stargate or alien nation or you know like the uh what was it uh, district 11 or district 9 district 9 you know think of these science fiction tropes and concepts that you can inject into a setting like mega city one or whichever mega city you're operating there you go brits it yeah I, you have all kinds of options and we're going to be taking a little peek 
into yeah, the world be... of Judge Dredd. What can you do with it? Right, because you can literally cover everything from fantasy all the way to dark dystopian, grim, gritty, near futurism. Oh, yeah. If you want to go grim dark with it, it's a fruitful, it is a fruitful land in which to plant those seeds. Ah, this so. land. <laughs> and we shall call it this land. This land. So yeah, that'll be our next podcast. So hope Curse you're looking your sudden yet inevitable betrayal. I, I knew you were going to go there. So thank you. You're welcome. So yeah, hopefully you folks will enjoy it. Let us know uh, on our Facebook page what you think about it. If it's going to be too much of a topic, we can uh, shift left on it and move something else. But I think it's worthy to cover. Judge Dredd was a big favorite of ours early on because of his satire and its place in gaming as well as in. The kind of nerd culture. Yeah, you're talking to two people here that uh, were really happy when they came out with a Judge Dredd game. You know, just the the fact that uh, a favorite comic of yesteryear had finally been given the treatment. Uh, so, yeah, our our enthusiasm is unfeigned. <laughs> All right. So, let's get on to it then. We're talking about traps puzzles and oh my pitfalls yeah as well as any uh hazard that you want to place in the game and while we've talked about the placement of traps how to adjudicate them properly and all that there's been a lot said in the recent years about how some hazards and obstacles that you put in front of players don't really hit well they mechanically work but this is a conversation where we're just going to bring it out and front is that traps have always kind of been a weird way to either channel players into a direction like there's a lot of traps here you might not want to go there or uh, give players a sense of challenge that isn't directly a monster trying to eat them traps hazards and puzzles wind up becoming one of the best pieces of the dm toolkit because we are so obligated to shake things up. Okay. How do we not be boring? You know, like, do we hit people with the exact same thing? You know, like the 10 foot by 10 foot square pit trap over and over and over and over again. Variety, spice of life. Okay. That remains true. There are only just so many things you can do with a nest full of orcs. Um, it's, the ability to continually place different challenges in front of players that becomes like the, the hobgoblin of the DM's life, uh, the perpetual challenge. How do I keep it fresh? And wow, thank goodness for traps, pitfalls, challenges, hazards, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's the riddle, puzzle, uh, you see these things in video games so much more now. I mean, they were present even like 20 odd years ago with some of the earlier uh, fantasy role-playing video Death games. Death by Barrel uh, well, and Diablo. Yeah. Uh, it happens. Hey, I got stumped by a riddle in Bard's Tale. Uh, Bard's Tale 2, I, I think. It was either Bard's Tale 2 or Bard's Tale 3. One of them, it was, a, it was like, what is the value of rote learning? I never answered that. I never, I never finished that game because I was just stopped cold by a riddle that I couldn't answer. And uh, Well, you weren't really stopped cold. What you were is you were confounded by the obscure knowledge of the designer who never left a clear path after that of what to do. Yeah. I, I, it was an Easter egg. It was the beginning of the Easter eggs um, syndrome. I mean, they're probably, I'm going to write that down on the list. It's, future episodes talk about Easter eggs and where they've, they've been hidden, not only in role-playing games, but in video games. But that's a, that's a big one. A lot of people don't understand it. Like back then, sometimes designers would put these obscure references that only like six people outside of their own personal experiences knew about. Yeah. And people for generations afterwards would wonder, why is the dude in that room named that? And, you know, why do they, you know, make themselves such a nuisance to us? I, yeah, it all ties into, you know, or, or the names of magical items would 
have the Nissa shirt company on the cloak of poisonous. That's the name tag. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't Those get are... it till years later, but yep, it's a joke. Uh, so let's start with something like the more traditional trap, uh, the appropriate and inappropriate uses of them. Okay. The, the obvious it's, it's so painfully obvious that the worst thing you can do with the trap is make it absolutely unbeatable and universally fatal it, like with no means by which to either know that it's there uh, or neutralize it in any way. It's absolute helplessness and an instantaneous total fatality. Uh, if it's designed to create nothing but a TPK, no matter what you do, that's terrible. Okay. <laughs> and more to the point, that's, I'm going to just make a just call out here. That's just for fun. The Grimtooth Book of Traps. Now, in those are some very clever and fun traps, but many of them have no way out, and they're purposely put there as a weird sadist tool to bedevil players. And the excuse was that back in the early days, some players were just completely obnoxious. So here was a way to sadistically and viciously kill the players and there's no save or coming back but you get to throw gnome <laughs> you get to throw remember what we just talked about with the like inside jokes yeah <laughs> anybody who knows what the throne gnome is or the throne gnomes are yeah good on you so when you would uh relate or narrate their uh crushing horrifying bone snapping death you would try to teach him a lesson and the lesson that you actually ended up teaching him as a DM from that was um, that you're kind of a jerk. <laughs> so I dislike the execution of Grimtooth's book of traps and there's been a large series of them and some better than others. Obviously uh, the early ones were written more tongue in cheek. Um, and then there was a time where they tried to make them, but the end, the takeaway was is that a lot of these traps were either Rube, Goldberg-esque contraptions that you had no possible way of relating to. But if you had the right type of player and the people who are engaged into that sort of thing, and you were good at uh, with props and or uh, narration, you could theater of the mind it through them. But it was kind of like, oh, yeah, there's this really contrived way to disarm this trap. And with that also in the D&D system, the disarm traps feature can just nullify that. Well, I just rolled my disarm traps and uh, that's it, right? I think that um, in that era, one thing that came out of it was that some traps are so complex, and this was from Grimtooth's traps, that they took several disarm traps to uh, rolls to get through. And each one that you would make would make it a little less lethal. Uh, specifically like sight, you would disarm the sizing blades, the uh, roller pins of doom that would, the floor would uh, uh, roll away and then you'd fall in these uh, rolling uh, crushers underneath and then you disarm that one and go across the floor to the next one and the next one, so forth. That can be engaging, but then it really just is dependent on one player character and that's not very fun. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, if it's just one player is just the only one that, <laughs> oh, the thief's like, hey, I'm the professional with this. And once again, that brings us right back to the very beginning with the talk about shaking it up. There's a time and a place where the thief gets to shine. Uh, picking one or two points in a module where that thief is the critical element, that's great. Okay, give that character a moment to shine. That's when they are the most important person in the room. Mm-hmm. But if you've built the dungeon, like trap and trap and trap and trap and trap, you've also placed that character at the forefront for most of the module. And that would be a critical error, right. in our opinion. You know, some right. like, in like, modern hey, games. If you've got a whole team of thieves and they're all taking turns, well, then, all right, that, that works out pretty good. In the modern games like 5th Edition and Pathfinder 2nd, um, the thievery skill can be learned outside of just the thief class. Oh, uh, certain of those skills. The, the disarming traps can be put on other characters. So that's a cool thing. I'm a bounty hunter. I break into a lot of places looking for criminals. I find myself faced with cunning uh, traps and snares. Or like the Witcher, he's basis. familiar with going in the tombs that have been trapped. And so he has to. Yeah. He, he's somewhat skilled. I think that that's a good. 
balance to that. And I think that's where it's been improved. But just the execution of traps to land the plane on it. Traps should always be irregular. And when used, they should enforce the fact that the party should always be working together and trying to find things, the characters that are the most perceptive, dwarves with their stone cunning and craft. They're valuable. And that's a time to let them have a little bit of a wink and a nod to like, hey, your character is very important to this party and team concept. So let's move with that. Now, I'm a big fan of uh, still having fatality be a part of things. And I know that just moments ago, you know, in this discussion, uh, I clearly oppose instantaneous certain doom for the party. However, having something that puts a high risk factor in place, uh, you know, you may not want to put uh, first level characters through that. But once the ball gets rolling and you've got some reasonably leveled players who have had, they've been tempered by some time in play uh, and at the table. So they, they have some idea of what things are about. Uh, It's time to up the danger level and having things that are deadly poisons uh, or having things that are like so close to fatality that like they're in the, you know, the negative countdown Uh, or they've been reduced to zero hit points and only immediate healing will spare them. Having those kind of moments, I still approve. Uh, There there should be high risks and high stakes as the level of play increases. So, you know, just to elucidate there, I don't oppose fatality. I actually support it. I like high risk, but it must be tempered with the ability for players to have some agency. Was there a means to spot, you know, was trap detection possible for them? Uh, so they're, they're not truly helpless. They are participating in a situation where they are at risk, but they are not simply helpless. Uh, well, I'll give a good example. What you're talking balance. about, some traps can debilitate and with conditions like enfeebled or yeah. even con- uh, gas that confuses you. Slowed. Um, yeah, slow gas. They don't always have to be a lethality, but then um, some automatons or constructs come out that are immune to uh, gas or undead, and then they start attacking the players. That can be a very nasty encounter, and that's one where everybody gets to use their combat skills and, and spells and abilities to try to work through it. Now, how do you disguise the hints you give that something is afoot? Well, there's always the, the broken bones. Look at the bones, but... Yeah, I would say that there's a good example of a trap, which um, there's at the end of the hall, a door. And apparently this door is well present and it's very secure. It's even uh, maybe got a few magical wards on it that the uh, wizard or uh, spellcaster can see. But the way to open it is there is an open maw of a demonic or dragon-like creature wherein you have to stick your hand. Now, oh boy, is there a nervous moment. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) You already set the tension. Now, players may know that sticking your hand in there may be technically a bad idea, but the way to disarm the trap is to stick your hand in, and there are clues written around, a draconic or whatever, that are a numeral or glyph-based combination so once you go in you gra- you feel something grasp your hand like a handle of a hilt and then you can turn it left or right and wherever you turn the head towards even upside down will hit these various glyphs or marks and that is the combination safe now if you fail to hit them in the correct order or just willy-nilly it around it bites and inflicts damage possibly severing the hand that's grasping with it that's a good one um, another trap that that's would be one where it's obvious, like here's an obvious trap and obstacle that you have to overcome. And of course it's the what's behind this door mentality, which drives people nuts. We're innately curious to see what's behind that door. If you say there's a door and you can't open it, well, why can't you open that door? Well, I'm going to try to open that door. Well, you can't open that door. Well, I'm going to really try harder to open that door. Yeah. You're going to see people try to 
ask, why can't I not open that door? And yeah, you can't get E-Flask because the programmer didn't write in the combination. But Mike's <laughs> interpretation is a riddle. So let's say there's another trap. There's a, <clears throat> at this point, they come to a juncture and there's a glowing arch. And you can see through it and you can see this magnificent treasure or uh, collection of items. And then there's a shimmering field. Obviously magic and, you know, they mess with it and anything goes through it disintegrates. And then above it written in uh, scrolling letters or a magic mouth uh, gives a riddle and then announces that you solve this and you can pass through. If not, then all you can do is view. Um, this is not a perfect example that I'm about to give because it depends on a uh, language trick that is only relevant in our world. Uh, <clears throat> imagine a dead rogue on the ground in front of a wall that uh, has a uh, beautiful fresco, uh, and above the fresco is the word Invictus, uh, mm -hmm. which you know, is Latin. Uh, and in the dead rogue's hand is a piece of paper, uh, and it says four. And you're wondering how to get out of, like, past this, this fresco that appears to be some sort of, like, unopenable portal. Uh -huh. Well, four in Roman numerals would be I and then mm -hmm. V. Yeah. So the I and V press each of those. Well, boom, it, it may be you said. Now, that only works if you have a world with Latin and things like that. Well, you but, can assume that there's a adjacent language in a fantasy campaign that would fulfill the parameters yeah, of that. You would so have you to would... adjust it, but like that is a trap that is also a puzzle at the same time with a clue placed there for the benefit of the players. And you're getting the concept here that the tools have been put in the players' hands to allow them to work their way past this without, without just roles. leaving them high and dry. Right. They, they have a means by which to move past this obstacle, but only if they're being clever. Right. And there's other, uh, those are traps that you would interact with and that are also puzzles in a way. And so now as we're transitioning into the second part, we want to leave you with one of the other things about traps is that traps should always be sudden and they should also make a lot of appearances when the party feels too safe. I'm not <laughs> saying that you have to assert, insert them unseen in front of the party's path when things get boring, but you should always put a trap pretty much in a dungeon environment, even wilderness now and then to keep players on their toes, not necessarily always to kill them, but to remind them that, um, Many creatures often guard and secure their loop behind a series of traps and protections that only they know are in existence. So that is the premise that starts with the find and remove traps as thieves got this because they're used to the means which others secure and store their treasure and protect it. And they have been familiar with these uh, obstacles many times in their past. Yeah, and uh, by way of a closing example for the trap, I'm, I'm going to move from the discussions of fatality to the like ideal example of absolute non-fatality, but enormous like risk and annoyance attached. Uh, in spite of that, the rattling bones, okay, the the trip wire that mm -hmm. sets off a lot of noise that brings the guards. It doesn't do any harm to the players, and it's wonderful if the rogue happens to spot it and neutralize it or flag it so that the rest of the party doesn't trip the wire but it doesn't kill anybody but oh boy will you wish those guards had not all come running at once <laughs> so yeah there are ways to adjudicate the trap to make the fullest possible use of a trap-based concept without killing a single player you know doesn't have to lead to fatality but it can lead to fantastic annoyance and definitely make the players more cautious. Uh, that's, a, that's a good opener one. So now we hit the puzzle. Well, yeah, as we we're talking about, a lot of the traps had a puzzle element to it. And more importantly, uh, I think mythologically, as well as in many stories, there is a riddle that must be solved from the riddle of steel to the riddle of the Sphinx. Many creatures, um, and in uh, The Hobbit, 
liked to settle their disputes through a brittle game, which not only tested your strength of character rather than through a force of arms, but through your keenness of wit. Mm -hmm. And so this was seen as a legitimate challenge. Um, you know, uh, more recently, in fact, incredibly recently in the Dungeons and Dragons movie, uh, those may, those who have seen it may recall that the paladin began to explain the precise method by which you could move across the trapped bridge. Uh, and, <laughs> and it became so convoluted uh, that it was ridiculous, like just within seconds, seconds of explaining it, it it's literally everybody is mind fried. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> for comic value, I actually recommend totally mimicking that. Oh, you know, if you just, but if you have another means for the characters to make it through that area. Oh. Right. There are a lot of ways. You, you can homage that for great comic effect. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of the great moments of, that has been taken from a table. It's like, okay, you have to make, you have to step forward and take, a step to the side and every prime number tile. And then, yeah, you got convoluted. But... <laughs> it's just a jump to the left. <laughs> or you can just walk straight across it. Yeah. Uh, or use a dimension door <laughs> spell and get across. Yeah. That, that, that's one way to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, I... What? They didn't foresee that? Oh, well, you know, yeah. Uh, but the puzzle is a time honored tradition. Um, you know, pairing a puzzle with the trap is one thing, but sometimes you don't even need the trap element. You just need the puzzle that the only way past this is for the players to iron it out for themselves. And we spoke of adjudication regarding uh, how to make people play their their character's intelligence. Don't just give them the answers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, well, my character is really smart. Mm, yes. Okay. Very much so. But that does not mean a freebie at the table. That is not having a character with an 18 or 19 intelligence does not mean that like you get to waltz through the dungeon and unravel all the puzzles the party still has to work as a team to iron out these well yeah make them more than details. just dice rolls and make them more than just math problems making a puzzle is also a challenge that requires it to be rare in order to preserve it which it means that by itself and those parameters alone it's going to be rather unique and not every day. And that's the key is when you do introduce these, don't make them so commonplace. A good example of that would be um, White Plume Mountain has oh. just one area where it's just a series of puzzle trick traps. And you could, if you had the ability, which is possible to dimension door, through half of those. Oh yeah, it's a high level module and it understood going in that the players would have access to a wide variety of magical, you know, equipment. Uh, you know, even a significant variety of players would still be challenged because there were enough situations they inside would eventually that module. Dissolve, yeah, you would uh, waste charges, the yeah. number of spell slots expended. It did not mind, you know, it sort of accepted that you know, there are players that will have a fly po a flying potion or a broom or like some other tidbit that will get them through parts of this. But not everybody is carrying them. Okay. Did right. you bring, and, and did you bring it up for the entire class? <laughs> yeah. So there's another thing that's an assumption here is that many of these modules early on didn't have any expectation of who's going to be playing them. You as the DM do have that ability. You know what your players have and what abilities and resources they can call upon. So you also know roughly how clever they are. Huh. You know, you've, you've got an idea of what level of challenge they can handle. And like, this is not meant as an insult, but if you have a bunch of players who really love the hack and slash uh, and death around every corner, but they're not really good at like, oh, it's riddle quest. Oh, Geez, we're, we've been defeated by words. <laughs> then maybe uh, playing to your audience is still a good choice for you. You know, it, it doesn't wound me in any way to say, hey, what we're recommending here is stuff we've picked up over the years and how to balance it. So, all right, well, we're going to take a quick break with that. And so we'll be right back. So 
Stick around. Hey, and welcome back, folks. Yeah, just a quick break there. Um, got a new ad campaign coming in, so expect that uh, soon. But anyway, back to our main topic here. We are talking about puzzly puzzles. Puzzly puzzles and those hazards. Let's talk about, uh, as we said, that pat puzzles by themselves should be rare and unusual. You can't always expect somebody to go through the non-Euclidean maze of the mad sorcerer king. Yeah, it, it's Every unfair week. to hit people unless you have several puzzle enthusiasts in your players. Well, just throw them, you know, just say, hey, download the Wordle app. That'll keep you entertained in between the hack and slash issues. You have to, I believe that a good variety of people make up for the best mix of play styles. But I do like to have a puzzle in, like, uh, when I prepare a campaign, it's usually done in arcs uh, so that there are like several overlapping story arcs uh, and at the moments of highest tension, uh, like the, the pre-climactic events uh, at the, you know, like near late in each arc, I like to have at least one good puzzle in the campaign at that point. So there will be several puzzles during a campaign length period of play, uh, but they don't crop up every single module. They don't they don't show up every session. Uh, unlike traps, which I tend to be somewhat more liberal in the use of, yeah, they, they should, pop up everywhere. If you have a uh, dark, dusty tomb, uh, obviously having traps should be a thing. It, it happens in real life in Egyptology and several other archaeology experiment, they have found some crude traps. Now, of course, they're not the level of the Indiana Jones mind blower of the giant, uh, that first, what, two minutes of Raiders of the Lost Ark where we see that giant boulder trap. Yeah. And, awesome. Yeah. And, you know, the spear and the darts. Yeah. Nothing that elaborate, but in some places there have been definite constructions made to thwart the, um, in intruders who aren't aware of them uh, from getting farther. So it's not without merit, but of course it's a fantasy world. So that means we got to crank it up to 11 and go gonzo because you can only throw the boulder trap out there so many times. Yeah. We, we've mentioned the physical puzzles. Uh, you know, we've, we've spoken of riddles already, but uh, you know, to expand on physical puzzles, it doesn't merely have to be, uh, you know, push two buttons that, correspond linguistically, you know, like I, I mentioned mm -hmm. before, uh, it can get much, much wider and weirder than that. Uh, the uh, team effort of uh, setting up an entrance that can only be opened with four precise keys, uh, being manipulated by four different party members at four different locations in the same room at the same time. Or in different parts of the dungeon. Yeah. Right? Splitting the party. Always a bad idea. Well, clear out the dungeon, secure the areas, then, then split the party. <laughs> and if they don't have the wisdom to do that. Well, yeah, they get what they deserve. You yeah. Know. <laughs> what happens, happens. Yeah. Okay. Notice that we slip right into tactical lockstep with one another. I mean, it's like we're a well-trained practice team of vets who like <laughs> angles, corners, exits, guys. Who's got it? I'm yeah. on angles. I'm on corners. I'm on exits. I got him. Yep. Oh boy. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> we've been put through the paces so oh. many times, <laughs> and there, you cannot name a mistake that we haven't also made. Okay, so it, it's not from a position of superiority. <laughs> it's a, you know, more like a little little whiff of PTSD. Like, oh God, don't do that. Oh yeah, don't just rush into the room and leave. <laughs> Uh, for unexplored exits at your back and then have all the monsters pile in and cutting off your rod of escape. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and they're using poison weapons. Great. <laughs> <laughs> this has got better. Outnumbered and poisoned. Yep. Uh, I love it. <laughs> the time I... Uh, <laughs> Ed, the players go into a room and they hear an indistinct hissing sound like some kind of serpent is up ahead. Uh, and... You know, I thrust my torch into the darkness, looking up ahead. Yeah, there's just enough stuff around the room for them to, you know, 
want to examine, like some some chests and uh, you know I, that steady hiss in the background. Uh, <laughs> then into the room, a ceiling panel opens and out drops a green slime. Now, of course, as we all know, the cure for the green slime is fire. Oh, I so, thought you were going to run the natural gas trap. Oh, well. And it was the natural gas trap, which when you go to burn, when you use fire to destroy the green slime, pow, <laughs> the entire room blows up. Uh, mind you, I don't do that to like level one or level two adventures. Sure. But at but the same time, it's, it's one of my more legendary jerk DM moves. As a DM, you will accumulate tricks and traps that you can confound and confuse players. But the point is, is to make it entertaining, not a, it, a little bit contrary to what Mike may have said earlier, and maybe this is where we'll disagree a little bit. I think that traps should always accent the danger, not be the main danger. But there's always an exception to the rule. Never commit yourself to one course of action where the, your inertia overcomes your ability to be agile and change plans if it's not working right. I mean, if you're just wiping out your player characters, you can just start with rocks fall, characters die. And the end, that's the end all traps right there. It's like, yeah, ultimately, ultimately the DM can just adjudicate that in whatever way your characters are dead and the campaign is over. I'm packing my bags. Goodbye. Which takes us back to the beginning. You know, the like, hey, absolute instantaneous fatality is, yeah. Not the, yeah. Not doesn't the make you look good. But... That there's clever ways in there uh, through it. And so you're talking about uh, green slime. So let's talk about hazards. Now, hazards and pitfalls, okay? This this is a special category all its own because these are things that don't necessarily constitute an actual trap or an actual puzzle. But they do actually engage players. Uh, they, they present themselves as an obstacle to progress. Uh, which must be resolved, and they will have to use some imagination or creativity. Uh, one of them having a hallway that is completely caked in green slime would be a perfect example. Uh, there's no way to go forward without enormous risk until you mitigate that green slime problem. Yeah, and green slime doesn't crawl after you, but also another uh, hazard could be brown mold, yellow mold, um, these things like, oh boy, your, dun your dungeon's full of brown mold. I'm sorry, we're going to have to... Uh, sell their property and have it fumigated. Yeah, how do you yep. get rid of brown mold? Well, spoiler alert, maybe uh, you don't know, maybe advance a few seconds and just want to be surprised, but it requires a great deal of magical cold. To uh, Brown mold seeps the heat out of all living beings and then replicates itself or expands. Now, if you're a really evil, evil DM, there's an illusion in place that makes the brown mold look like yellow mold and the characters fire heat at it to burn away the yellow mold. And for whatever reason, it just keeps growing. I don't understand. Yeah, but they're, unless you interact with them, they're pretty much inert. Yeah. But of course, yellow mold will always typically have a rotting, decayed skeleton that's been consumed by the yellow mold growing over it with some kind of glittery, magically, a sugary sweet attached to it that you need to go get. And it can be solved as simple as using mage hand creatively or a telekinetic pull. Whatever, yeah. you, that's still a way of getting around it. Now, that's why they're sometimes low level. Lethal, but if you're clever, you can get away with it. Yeah, one of the joys of uh, four players is having found a cunning way to use that mage hand, like, okay, the DM didn't place the mold in an area that, like, is absolutely we have to walk across this whole thing. Maybe it's down an alcove and you see that shiny ring on the hand of the skeleton uh, covered in yellow mold. And you don't dare walk in there because you, you know, like, a, uh, I've, I've heard about this. There's going to be, like, a blast of spores and then, like, sudden horrible death follows. Uh, no. That's where the mage hand comes in and gently plucks the ring. And okay, maybe it does explode in spores, but you're not anywhere near. You just it. shake them off. As yeah. long as they're not injected into Smart. your skin or breathe in through your lungs, you should be fine. Yeah, no worries. Should be. But it's a great moment for players. Okay, it's a moment of excitement. 
you know, like they're like, yes, I totally found my way past that. I achieved the goal uh, in spite of the obstacle. But That's you mentioned like green slime is another thing that a lot of players don't know how to overcome. And for the most part, it depends on being really fast or clever. And some people will say, I hold my shield up above me and cover myself heavily with a cloak, things I can discard quickly if the green slime falls on them. I've seen that one done in older versions where there weren't uh, checks, reflex saves or whatnot. Yeah. And that works. Another way is also, of course, uh, have somebody uh, careful or try to um, apply oil by throwing it or a flammable alchemist um, fire right to it directly. Apply alchemist fire directly to the green slime. Apply directly to green slime. Alchemist fire. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that. And again, it's engagement, but these are hazards that have Discontinue to be overcome. use if you experience any of these conditions. <laughs> Sudden burning sensations. You're going to have one. <laughs> Loss of limb and life may result to improper application of alchemical fire total to green slime. Total and instantaneous immolation. <laughs> so however you end up doing it, the idea is, is that, yeah, these are things you kind of have to interact with, but if they don't want to fuck with them, get away. Um, another good hazard is violet fungi oh. which is a little bit more monstrous and it will attack you but it doesn't move and the name is a misnomer not a fun guy at all no despite what they said so he told me it was a fun guy well uh, <laughs> anyway yeah a, a touch from those inflicts fungal rot at a massive level on a limb and so you can basically in just a few short uh, within an hour or two, kiss that limb goodbye because it's going to fall off and rot and turn into another wild yeah. fungi in a you, couple hours. You better like have a cleric in the party that can cure that or a potion or scroll handy that can do that for you. Or players who are like savvy enough to go, all right, bro, I need you to take your axe and chop this arm off. <laughs> um. We'll worry about a regeneration spell. Uh, it's when we so good about the elbow. No, no, no. We have to go higher. You you can still feel. You're not feeling below the elbow. We have to go higher where the contradiction has not yet spread. Yeah. Trust me. It's the only way. Yeah. That, it, it goes dark real quick with some of those nastier uh, creatures from... Some of those plants are really awful. Well, and another one is a fun one for a lot of DMs is shriekers. Hey, and... That brings us back to the non-lethal obstacle. You know, if a shrieker alerts and causes guards to come or hungry predators to approach, They've knowing learned. that the shrieker is announcing the presence of some other creature in the area. I, it's a wonderful tool, especially if you place three or four of them around strategically uh, in a cluster at a major exit point. Uh, and there's very little in the way of space for the players to edge their way around it. Yeah, but by themselves, they present very little uh, personal threat other yeah. than a case of hearing loss. <laughs> and a little too many of you encounters with the triggers. Um, a little hard <laughs> of hearing. Um, oh, yeah. Boy. So, oh, man, that, oh, holy crap. It's like you know, being at a uh, electronic music festival. Oh, my ears are killing me. So, there are different types of hazards um, besides just like, okay, it's a creaky drawbridge um, or it's a uh, rope bridge strung precariously across a wide chasm. And it looks to you like it is not in the best of condition. Boy, you just primed the pump for nervous players trying to find ways to attach extra rope to themselves or add extra, you know, securing factors to the bridge all in an effort to mitigate some of the risk that they're about to undertake. Uh, they, they will find ways. Yep, and this requires, of course, players to become very in, invested into trying to circumvent them if they must cross them or look for other ways around. And that's a big thing, too, is never place a hazard where it's the only way, this is the only way across, and you must find it with a time constraint because let players have their abilities to work around various types of hazards at their own leisure because if you push people in them too much it does cause a bit of resentment but however don't 
just as that first rule, never let yourself be bound to a certain course of action just because that's what you determine. You can make, as the players go forward and they're investigating that hallway filled full of green slime, one of them steps on a flagstone on the floor and suddenly the wall behind them begins moving inwards, pushing them inexorably towards it. Yeah, that'll get them thinking. <laughs> Especially if you take an hourglass out at that moment mm -hmm. and tip it and say, this is how much time you have to deliver to me each of your chosen actions. But what you want to try to avoid is like, unless it's vital to the plot or part of that scenario, don't force players into hazards. Let them make their own judgments on how they're going to move it, uh, move around it. And maybe sometimes, as Mike says, illusions and other things can be the great spell of illusion. Uh, is where I want to kind of... Uh, to make a thing that isn't be or a thing that is not be. Is one of the great tricks of DMing. And I, and I relate it back to uh, Timothy Leary for this. That all life is an illusion. So... I disbelieve all life. I, I disbelieve this reality and substitute my own in place of it. <laughs> I still like the guy that, uh, who's barbarian, ripped off the arm of an illusionary demon and was beating the illusionary demon to death with the torn off arm. And I was just like, oh man, I, I wish I'd had the presence of mind at that moment to have the illusion scream, I roll to disbelieve. Solipsism. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It but, only. But we've talked about the hazards that are physical. Let's talk about the ones that are completely mental. And for the best part of that is the illusion. And man, when they decided to just have illusions as part of the D&D game, that was a master oh. stroke right there. I mean, they could have just went with other things. But Making the illusion. The bridge appear to not exist. I step out of the bridge. Ha! It's an illusion. Ah, you fall to your death. <laughs> well, making a bridge appear appear to be there that does not in fact exist right. or you know having the players think that there is a wide chasm that they cannot possibly cross in any degree of safety until somebody stumbles upon the realization or is able to pierce the illusion and recognize that there is in fact a bridge right there that they just can't see either of these is wow is that some sneaky stuff the bridge that isn't or the bridge you don't know is or the cruelest one is, oh, you see a room full of gems and gold literally spilling out from chests. Ah, yes. And the players just stumble blindly in it, only to find out that it's leading to a pit of liquid hot magma. And, uh, of course, because every supervillain has to have a pit of liquid hot magma in his lair. <laughs> but, yeah, the, but that, that's the whole thing is I check for traps. Sharks with lasers. Oh, that's in the next room. Um, None of those mutant sea bass. What are we a cheap outfit? And so the idea was is to teach players like if you present them with something that's too good to be true, they should take a moment out and use some critical thinking. And I think that is one of the best things about the game. It's like critical thinking taught at its basic, most basic level. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh how many times have like players been reeled into a situation by something that is just so tempting? Uh, and at the dawn of gaming, uh, particularly in the early games of Gary Gygax, you see a great deal of carefully designed temptations that from their experiences at the table in the 1970s, you know, he'd actually seen people like just leap for this. Like, yep. Oh man, every time, like uh, something has the glimmer of gold. You're like, there they are. Uh, they, they've got an entire kit with them to tear up the hallway uh, and try to chop their way through the wall to get to that next gold piece. Uh, or the, the prospect of uh, hoarding one more magical item or one more jewel is so overwhelming to some players that they will take outlandish risks and pay attention to nothing else. Uh, and that that brings us to the, the little like side topic of bait because uh, mm -hmm. you're baiting the trap uh, in a way that you want the players to be drawn into a situation. You don't want them to be helpless, but their agency, their, their ability to make their own decisions is also your weapon. Yeah. It's the means to which <laughs> with they seal their own doom. And isn't that ironic? 
yeah, welcome to the world of advertising. Um, you know, if you really want to do a little deep dive for a moment, you know. I, you know, that's I, a very clever way to shoehorn that in there. I like it. Yeah, I, well, you know, what did I go to school for all those years ago? Uh, it, you, <laughs> I, I did not become a devious person because I was a devious person. I, I was introduced to the most awful aspect the of advertising life. Yeah. It wasn't I, one I chose, but it was one that chose me. No, I, I, I went to school for that stuff. And the psychology of advertising is fascinating. But one of the parallel lessons here is that you see that people have the ability to make their own decisions. However, there is a great deal of leeway uh, when you realize how tempted they are by commonplace everyday things. Uh, and that's like a, a mechanism that is used to manipulate their behavior. Now, for the DM to use this responsibly, like you, you put potential gain versus risk in front of them, and then you just let them make the choice. Uh, and welcome to the world. Uh, it's, oh, it's marvelous. Well, just like I explained that elaborate uh, glyphed and ruined door with the uh, open dragon or demon mouth, no hint of what behind it is in any of that description. It could be nothing. It could be a vault that's been looted with uh, graffiti on the wall. Ha ha, we were here before you. Um, congrats on solving that great riddle. Now, um, Marvel in our ability to completely loot this room before you guys got here. Sign your rival adventuring group. Thanks, Gary. So it kind of goes with the other thing is that you're in a dungeon. It's kind of a magical fun house with lots of tricks, traps, and uh, big scares. However, in that, there is the impetus that players are curious what is beyond the next door. What lies down that hallway? Where's that room what, what's that uh, next uh, room going to lead to? That's what's really the bait and hook. And so you don't really have to get it too, you don't have to lay it on too thick, but you do have to keep them interested. And sometimes illusions, overuse can be crazy. There's a, a level on uh, in Castle Greyhawk where oh. it's almost like Monty Python. And it's just, <laughs> it's, it's nuts and it's Over bizarro land and some players get really just uh it does kind of break the the uh, suspense of disbelief a little bit but it is a point that you can use too much of a good thing too often and it spoils the whole batch it just yeah. does, doesn't go too well so illusions should always have a way to be interacted with and if people show some caution or trepidation or try to reason about it Always give them either a saving throw or the benefit of the good old benefit of the doubt. I want to throw a few more pitfall slash hazard things, which, uh, you know, like much earlier in the podcast, we mentioned like outdoor scenarios. Right. Uh, and the <clears throat> hazards and pitfalls also include such wonderful things as a fast moving river, uh, which the players must find a way mm -hmm. to cross, uh, or even a fast moving river in a subterranean cavern, uh, which. <laughs> Well, you don't want to be good. You want to. You don't want to be pulled into that. Uh, oh, how about the fire swamp? Yeah, that <laughs> with lightning sand. You know, if television during my childhood was any indicator, I honestly thought that quicksand would be more of a problem during my adult life. Uh, as it turns out, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it turns out that in, even in the states where uh, in the union here in America that where quicksand is prevalent and is warned about all it provides is basically a good stick and uh moving slowly yeah yeah you feel your foot starts to sink and yep you, next one it's time to move back slowly yeah not nearly as difficult as one might have imagined now uh, other hazards uh the concept of deadfall which is just trees that are rotten like if you've if you've got people moving through overgrowth and it's heavily grown in on the other sides and you're you're moving through an area uh, you you would want to give them a little warning like you know they're huge trees that have fallen during past storms and some of them are you know looking incredibly rotten and old and covered in moss uh, and they're treading amongst them and they've got to move the branches out of the way 
Yeah. You're, you're well, tampering with something that could easily come down on top of you. Well, I think but we're... You set we're, the stage, and it's right. all natural. There's yeah, no... Yeah, there's no... DM artifice. Yeah, and again, you change... Here's the droid in his element. Yeah. Steve with his beard bees. <laughs> and his badger. Yes. Braided badger. Beard bees. So... Yeah, your beard bees are still paying spot those, customers. He can, he can spot those. Uh, bits and snares and deadfalls very easily. But I think we're kind of coming to the meta here. In outdoor, the ultimate trap equalizer is the is nature herself. And yeah. from a raging storm to a blinding blizzard, these can add complications to. And we just mentioned bees. Hey, an entire nest full of stinging insects that is inconveniently located in the area that you know you're precariously attempting to move through. And the situation places you in extreme close proximity. Does anybody really want to like walk right under a hornet's nest? <laughs> no. There's one in the backyard there. Yeah. You know what I do? I avoid it. <laughs> Talk about those hazards. Yeah. But if I were more sadistic, like uh, a certain of the Glarian Goblin, I might be prone to sneak up the side of the tree at night, clip it down, and transport it to a secure area where I wanted to make sure. That no one intruded upon. What? A burn barrel? <laughs> well, maybe that's where I would put it if I had to move past it. But I'm just saying some creatures are more sadistic than I am. Oh, well, I would be one of those creatures. I, I hate stinging insects. The deep personal hatred. But point is, there is a wide variety of ways to place both fatal and or incapacitating uh, as well as absolutely non-fatal, but uh, annoying uh, obstacles in front of players. And you can shuffle endlessly. Uh, making the widest possible variety of encounters is, I think, an essential DM trait. Having that huge backlog of ideas developed over your, like a period of DMing, having that at your beck and call so that you can shake it up at it at a moment's notice and hit the players with something different. It makes them happy. I, I know we've talked about some fairly horrible things to do to players here, but the enormous satisfaction Sadism that comes is a trait that DMs need. The, the satisfaction that comes from having resolved obstacles skillfully is absolutely worth fostering. Okay. Players appreciate that. They don't necessarily like it in the moment. Like, oh man, I, I, I lost like four constitution points just trying to get down this hallway. They hate that part. But when they figure something out and work away past it, they've shown how they can make the best use of their own personal agency. It's a great gaming moment for all of them. And we, you know, we've both experienced it as the players and loved it, which is, I think, what translated into us as DMs both looking for ways to find challenges that players can navigate and consequences if they aren't paying attention or choose not to. Right. Incautious players will Balance be their own doom. is everything. And more, all these items are like spice. Um, use a little bit here and there, add it to spice things up, literally. Or if you use too much, you're going to spoil it. So use cautiously and have some uh, ability to be judicious in your placement of these things and make sure that people understand that, hey, you know, this is a dangerous world. You've got to be aware of your surroundings. You don't get the 10,000 gold piece gem by, you know, doing a cakewalk with a bunch of chairs at a church social. Oh, okay. Right. So let the risk be commensurate with the reward. Now that said, uh, we're going to weigh anchor and haul off here. So before we do, though, we just want to remind you that coming up is our 300 episode, and we've got some surprises in store for you. Yeah. Oh, yes. We'll, we have acquired... We'll mention them by name very soon. So stay tuned for that. And, of course, if you like what you hear, just let us know on our Facebook page. If you're not subscribed to the Zuckerberg Time Sync, then, yeah, I understand. We'll be working but, on other social media soon. Well, hopefully. But the most important part, the Dice is Screaming Facebook page is there for you. And so you can interact with us there, or you can leave a message here on Spotify. 
But until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.